You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 5, Episode 7. This episode is sponsored by Lorian Academy of the Arts. Lorian provides art opportunities for youth in poverty, leveraging the power of the arts to equip and empower youth for bright and vibrant futures. To learn more, visit lorianacademy.org. That's L-O-R-I-E-N academy.org. A few years ago, I came across a little square book with a handwritten cover telling me to steal like an artist. Of course, I was intrigued and flipped through the pages to find a collection of drawings, photographs, and simple advice to aspiring creatives. The author of the book is writer and artist Austin Kleon. Austin is the New York Times bestselling author of Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and the Steal Like an Artist Journal, a notebook for creative kleptomaniacs. His work has been translated into over 20 languages and featured on NPR's Morning Edition, PBS NewsHour, and in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. In this episode, I talk with Austin about his thoughts on creativity, originality, and his brand new follow-up release titled Keep Going, 10 Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad. Patrons of the podcast can access an additional interview segment with Austin on creativity as subtraction and how the deconstruction process of his blackout poetry creates a new art form. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Austin's work and to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. This is my interview with author and artist Austin Cleon. Austin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Makers and Mystics. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been a fan of your work for a while now, and uh, your book, Steal Like an Artist, was a pretty impacting book for me, as I know it was a lot of people. But I'm also interested in you as a poet and in some of the other creative things that you've done. So I'm looking forward to just unpacking the wide scope of the work you're doing. Let's do it. For some of our listeners that aren't as familiar with you, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, my name is Austin Cleon, and uh, for about the past 12 years, I've lived in Texas um, in Austin, which is annoying, but um, <laughs> but it's a good place. Uh, I grew up in Ohio. Um, so in the middle of a cornfield and my career has been, I've been doing books for about 10 years now, but before that I was a reference desk librarian for a while. I was a web designer and then I was a copywriter at an ad agency. And so that's sort of what I did before, um, Steal Like an Artist took off and, and now I'm a full-time author and I make my living doing that and giving talks around the world. And if I, have to, if I had to describe what I do, I basically tell people I'm a writer who draws. I make books with pictures and art with words. So um, that's kind of my deal is kind of pictures and words together to uh, talk about ideas and communicate. And my books are very visual. They're, they're very, um, they're kind of full of my handwriting and my drawings and, and my artwork. 
And so it's kind of like, I think of them as really fancy zines. I don't know mm-hmm. if there are any zine fans out there, <laughs> but that's kind of how I feel uh, about the books. Um, and they're, they're kind of like, uh, they're little square books that, that you're kind of, you know, supposed to read and put down and go make things. That's sort of my goal as an author is to kind of inspire people to, you know, get back to work and make good stuff. Well, I know that you've got a brand new book coming out soon that's called Keep Going. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of the third in the trilogy of uh, the ones you've done, Steal Like an Artist, and then Show Your Work, I believe, is the second one. Yes. So we'll come back to Keep Going in a few minutes because I'm curious to know about that. But how about if we just walk a little bit through each of these previous books and talk some from each of that? And I know uh, in Steal Like an Artist, you talk about 10 things that nobody told you about being creative. Can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, um, Still Like an Artist started as a talk I gave to a bunch of um, college students and I was really nervous. I was probably about 27 at the time. So I was probably like, what, like half a decade older than like, you know, students I was talking to. And um, I wasn't really sure what to tell other uh, students. And my wife said, well, the best talk I've ever heard was by a lady who got up and told us 10 things she wished she had known when she was in our shoes. And I said, that's great, I'm going to steal that. And that's where Steal Like an Artist came from. It was just a list of what I wish I had known when I had first got started. But the big overriding principle of Steal Like an Artist is that the way to kind of find your voice as a creative person and the way to become an original is not to kind of reach deep down into your soul and figure out like who you were meant to be, but to actually embrace a really large and wide variety of influence and Mm -hmm. to kind of devour everything that you can and to sort of become a mashup of what you let into your life. And so the way to originality in your work is not to uh, kind of cordon yourself off and fly solo, but to be influenced by as many things as possible. And so that's sort of the big overriding principle of the book is that you're a mashup of what you let into your life. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it was John Lennon who said, good artists borrow, great artists steal, something to that effect. And then I think he was actually stealing that from T.S. Eliot. It's it's always, it's funny who gets attributed that quote, but the (laughs) definitely, the very real um, and published quote comes from T.S. Eliot, the poet. And, And what he said was that immature poets imitate and that mature poets steal. Yeah. And he said that bad poets deface what they take, and good poets make it into something better, or at least something different. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is that T.S. Eliot is kind of laying out an ethos for stealing, that there's a right way to steal. And, and that's what so much of Steal Like an Artist is about, is that saying that, you know, we all do this, that no one comes from nowhere, and that all ideas are kind of you know, new ideas are mashups of old ideas, but there's a very particular and good way to go about it intentionally in your life. Well, can I dive into that a minute? Help unpack with me, what is that good way? Like, how do you describe the good way of going about stealing? 
I think in a big picture sense, like the best way to be a really good artistic thief is to really see yourself as part of something bigger mm-hmm. to kind of see yourself in a long chain of artists who have come before you and to try to think of yourself in a big cultural gumbo or kind of stew really. Um, and to figure out what is the thing that you can add to the culture. Like once you've figured out what's come before you and what's around you, like where are the empty spots or where are the places that need seasoning uh, with your own work? And, and how can you, you know, take, how can you actually contribute to the culture rather than just kind of uh, ripping it off? Right. And a lot of this is kind of about, you know, it, it's an, it's a subjective thing, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's really a, a a kind of honor amongst thieves kind of thing, uh, where you're you, you know there's there's a right way to behave in in a group and there's a wrong way, right? And so to you know the book tries to help people navigate through that, and you know there's there's different levels. I think when you first get started, you straight up copy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think when you first get started as an artist, the way you're kind of brought to art because you love art. Right. You know, like you you want to play guitar because you heard the Beatles or something. And so you copy the Beatles, like you learn how to play all the Beatles songs. And then if you move into writing your own songs, you know, you, uh, you s- just try to write songs that the Beatles didn't write you know, right. <laughs> or whatever. And then as you grow and mature as an artist, you know, one of the first things to do is to figure out who the Beatles listen to. Right. You know, and so you s- start doing what my friend Alan calls swimming upstream. So, you know, you start listening to Elvis and Lil Richard and all the great Motown stuff. And, you know, you start doing that, that kind of work. And then you start kind of looking, you know, who was around the Beatles at the time, you know, and you start expanding your musical world. And then you start, uh, one way to move forward from that point is to start uh, combining. Mm -hmm. So to start saying, well, what would have happened if the Beatles had gotten together with Jimi Hendrix or what would have happened if the Beatles could have gotten together with little Richard or, you know, just you start making those little things in your head. And then eventually, uh, you build such a musical vocabulary that you start kind of thinking about yourself and your own kind of place in the universe and your own gifts and you kind of move away from the Beatles as like a central part of your universe and you kind of become the center of it, you know? And, yeah. And that's when you really transform uh, things into kind of your own deal. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 that's just like the hard work of, of, you know, copying, exposing yourself to lots of different art, combining a lot of different things, and then kind of finding your own thing at the end of it. So I, I have a colleague named Kirby Ferguson who does a series called Everything is a Remix. I just about brought him up. Yeah, and so he uses that. He uses that kind of copy, uh, transform, and combine. To He talks about that's the different ways that people can remix. But for me, I see them as very linear I I think those are actually the stages of an artist's development is copying, 
uh, combining and then transforming. So maybe you could say that imitation becomes assimilation uh, over time as you mature. For sure, yeah. Imitation leads to, yeah, assimilation and, and, and combination and then emulation to move through you know, not just imitating, but to emulate them, to, to attempt to the kind of like work that they were trying to do, you know, which is to yeah. find a new sound or a new experience or to help really to help people see the world in the way that you see it. Yeah. I think that's a very important perspective that you're tackling in that. And, and I think it could be very challenging for some artists to give themselves the freedom to do that. And and I can only think of my own experience and my own creative journey. But for me early on, like I was so intimidated to sound like anybody else in the music I was writing, or I'd, you know, I, I, we all want to find our unique voice, but it's kind of that paradoxical truth, you know, that um, by allowing yourself to impersonate or to draw influence from your heroes, not to be afraid of drawing influence from them, that that over time it actually helps you to find your unique voice. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that has made all of this incredibly tricky is our ability to share at any moment in time. I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here went on behind the scenes in pretty much every life of a creative person. The problem was it it happened in private. Mm -hmm. And so even with the Beatles... You know, they were in Liverpool doing their little thing, and then they were in Hamburg, like clubbing and and having shows, and and there was a kind of like intimacy to that, and they were able to kind of learn their craft and to copy and to kind of combine and do all that work that no one ever really saw, you know, in a in on a big scale. Now the young artist has the ability to do their bad copy of an artist and throw it up for everyone to hear, you know? And so <laughs> right. there's a lot of, I, I remember, you know, I, I, I never thought I had a lot of respect for the guitarist, John Mayer, the songwriter and guitarist. But one of the things that he told students a long time ago was enjoy your obscurity. You know, mm. he was like, obscurity is good it's it's a thing it's a time in which you can really figure out who you are and what your voice is and that's one of the messages of steal like an artist is the to enjoy your obscurity while it lasts because that's when you really figure out who you are in a kind of safe environment you know Mm because and i think that's sort of the opposite of how you know the culture wants what the culture wants to do i mean the culture wants you to be young and fresh out of the gate right so to speak and like and like be fully formed and like wow us and that's just not usually the way it happens i mean even someone like justin bieber you know who you know who wants to talk about just justin bieber but (laughs) you know you go back in time and you realize like this is a kid that's been like singing since he was like five or something you know so there is work there's always work that you don't see that's Mm -hmm. behind the scenes of a lot of these people but um these are hard things to internalize in this kind of instantly gratifying (laughs) digital (laughs) age you know but i think um one of the secret weapons of steel like an artist um is that it seems like a really 
like wild out there book, but it's actually, I think a very conservative in the best word in the big, in the best sense of the word. I think that steel, like an artist is actually a very, um, traditional it's, it's sort of a, uh, I think it's a very traditional approach to creative work because I think, you know, it asks you to really be honorable and it asks you to locate yourself in a chain of, other people who did this before you and it asks you to be a student. Mm -hmm. And I think those are very like sort of old school. I hate using the word conservative because it just has this tinge to it, but like those are very old school values, you know? And so I think that's sort of the secret, the secret of steel, like an artist and why it's been successful is that it's actually kind of, it's dressed up as this kind of hip, like for lack of a better word, like kind of like, I don't know, hip millennial thing or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to say. But I think it's actually like a lot of the lessons are very old school. Yeah. One more point on this, and then we can move on to talk about some of your other writings as well. But in Still Like an Artist, it seems like one of the main points you make is you encourage readers to write what they like instead of what they know. And and that, you know, write what you know is kind of what you're always told in some kind of writing class. Um, and I love, I think you said that you want to write the story that you want to read. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, um, this, is, uh, this, uh, this is something that's so important. I mean... I think that you really come to art as a fan first. I mean, I think you're so many artists are brought to art by other art. And I think that as a creative person, we're always being pushed to be autobiographical to, well, you know, you're from a dumpy small town, so you should probably only write songs about being from a dumpy small town, <laughs> even though yeah, that's been done forever. Um, but like, it's so, uh, it happens a lot in creative writing class where, you know, the, the, they trot out that right where, what you know stuff. But, you know, if you're an 18 year old, you don't really know that much yet. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you don't really have that much life experience, but what you do have is you have a little bit of taste. And so you can kind of write what you like. You can write the kind of story that you like. And that's even true as you get older. You know, you, you, I, I come at everything as a fan first. I, I feel like everything that I write is something that I would like to read or that I think needs to be in the world somehow. And um, I just think it's a crucial difference that write what you like versus write what you know. Yeah. And I think writing what you like will get you... Uh, one, of, one of the things I think is impossible is to write something that you put a lot of effort into that doesn't have a piece of yourself in it. I mean, that that's mm -hmm. kind of the the great secret of writing is that even if you're writing a science fiction story, um, you're always using your own experiences in the work. It's, it's almost impossible not to be autobiographical in your work. So, but I think you almost have to trick yourself into not thinking that you're doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think write what you like will turn into write what you know, but it won't stifle you quite as much if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. Well, you mentioned, you know, writing what you like, but also you use the phrase, uh, something that you feel like it needs to be in the world. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leads into your second book of this trilogy, which is titled Show Your Work. Yeah, so Show Your Work is about, um, Show Your Work was put out about two years after 
uh, Steal Like an Artist came out. And Show Your Work came directly out of questions I was asked after Steal Like an Artist sort of took off. And I got to go out on book tour and meet a lot of different people who had been following me over the years. And the primary question that they asked me was about Mm self-promotion. Like, how do they get an audience for their work? Like, they're doing something and they feel really good about it, but they feel like they need an audience and they didn't know how to go about getting one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these are all questions about self-promotion. And I'm like any other artist, I actually hate thinking about Um, self-promotion. It makes me feel gross. Mm-hmm. And so I turned around and said, well, what if I write a book about self-promotion for people who hate self-promotion? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Show Your Work was. But Show Your Work is also kind of a, a Trojan horse of a book in that it's attempting to be about marketing and self-promotion, but I think it's actually a lot about education. Um, I think it's a lot about how to set up your life so that you're sharing things in a way that you're sharing as you go and you're sharing in a way that other can open yourself up to other people influencing you and, and being kind of co-conspirators in the development of your kind of story or whatever. Um, And so show your work is a book that starts on the premise that we think of art in terms of genius and that, Great art is made by special people with kind of superhuman talents that are kind of separate from the rest of us. But often, more than not, great work is the result of the opposite of that, which is what Brian Eno, the musician, calls senius, which is this kind of collective form of genius, which is um, a bunch of people sharing and stealing from each other and helping each other get better um, or antagonizing each other to be better. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that good work comes out of that. And if you reorient uh, your thinking about creative work towards this notion of seniors, it can change the way that you think about making your work, and it can also change... Um, it changes the story that who gathers an audience around them is not necessarily the most talented, but the person who is able to share in a way that connects with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's really where the the beginning of Show Your Work starts from. And the rest of the book is just simply about the tension I see in most creative people's lives, and particularly artists, is how do I have this world in which I'm making amazing stuff and I'm sort of like inviting the muse in (laughs) and, you know, Mm -hmm. like really I'm nurturing my creative kind of spirit and I'm creating an environment in which that can happen versus Mm -hmm. putting, exposing myself, like putting myself out there, putting my stuff out there so that people can find it. And like, how can I, how can I navigate between these two tensions? And that's what the rest of the book is about. It's about how, how can you share in a way that helps your creative work rather than hinders it? It almost seems like it's an adjustment of the mindset of how we relate to our work first, maybe even seeing it as a gift to be shared as opposed to uh, something primarily self self gratifying, maybe I don't know. Yeah, no, I think gift is a great word. Gift is a word that comes up in all of these books. Um, that 
you, you know, everyone is sort of awoken to their gifts uh, by the gifts of others. Uh, that's actually a language that a guy named Lewis Hyde uses in his book called The Gift. Yeah. And that works sort of like we find our gifts through the gifts of others. So like, you know, you discover you're a songwriter through listening to Paul McCartney or something, you know, something like that. And then part of your job then as an artist is to figure out how to channel your own gift and to share it in a way that it might awaken gifts in other people. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes on like that. And of course this is, again, this is, this echoes what we talked about with, Steal like an artist, seeing yourself mm-hmm. as something bigger and, and seeing yourself as a link in a chain that kind of goes on and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of it in terms of uh, participating in a cultural conversation. That's a great word. I love the word conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of my books are me talking back to all the dead authors that I love. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Um, it's my way of like, you know, talking to the dead, or I think Auden called it Breaking Bread with the Dead, which is actually the mm. name of a book my friend Alan is working on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're you're like, you're time traveling in a sense. It's like a com- conversational time travel. Like you're, you're trying to talk to the dead, and you're also trying to talk to the unborn at the same time, and, and the living. Yeah. So it has uh, kind of an all-encompassing time traveling or eternal aspect to it in a sense. Yeah, I think of really great creative work as a, you know, you're building like a time machine in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me then more about the book that's coming out soon. And this one is titled Keep Going. And so we've got Steal Like an Artist and then uh, Show Your Work. And now the third one, Keep Going. Uh, tell me what to expect in this one. Keep going is a pep talk for people who sort of find themselves in a moment of like personal or cultural burnout. So all of us? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Keep going attempts to answer the question of how do you sustain yourself in a creative career throughout whatever time you get on the planet, basically. Because uh, keep going starts from with the idea that creative work is just a little bit different than other work in terms of it doesn't really matter what level you achieve in creative work, whether you just won a Grammy or you just won an Oscar, you just like got a million selling um, book or something like that. The question people ask you, no matter where you are is, uh, so what's next? What are you going to do next? (laughs) You know, and, and that can be a crisis for a lot of, artists and creative people. And I think the people who really make it through their creative careers are people who are able to develop a daily practice, a a sort of daily way of making stuff and, and, and practicing their craft that sort of insulates them from success or failure. Um, and so, you know, you have the film director who no matter whether he, you know, wins an Oscar, like he's working on his next screenplay or, or, you know, he's off to his next movie already or the novelist Mm -hmm. who starts a new novel before the last one even comes out, you know, or the, (laughs) so, so keep going like starts from that premise, but it also, um, it asks people to, to sort of think about the dailiness of their creative work, but then it also kind of asks them to think long-term about 
their creative work? Like what, again, like what are, what are they adding to the world? Like how are they helping the culture become what they want it to become? Um, and so it's kind of operates on those kind of micro and macro levels. I, I think of it as a book that begins by stopping the bleeding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it begins by like suggesting ways that people can like, kind of just like grab control of their days right away and then as time goes on it's like okay well here's the you know here's the real uh kind of here's the real like bigger picture work that you can do to kind of improve your world that's great i'm going to ask you a very wide scoped question here that goes along with the topics of all three of your book and it's it's really this how do you see art and creativity as an agent for shaping the culture for good oh that's a great question um I think that the best thing that art can do is give people a way of looking at the world, a a new way of looking at the world, quite simply. Mm -hmm. I, I think that what art does best is it teaches people a way of looking that they'd never kind of imagined before or never experienced before. And I think music does that too. I think music, um, for example, will teach people a new way of listening, you mm-hmm. know, or, or, you know, film can teach you a new way of experiencing, you know. But I think that, that really what art does best is not just give people like pretty things that they can just have in their lives that make them happier, which is obviously a great, great thing to do for people. I mean, one of my favorite uh, lines in any movie is from Sullivan's Travels. Mm -hmm. And uh, the film director says, you know, there's a lot to be said for making people laugh. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there is a humbleness of the entertainer and in terms of like, you know, a great musician just makes people happy when he plays music or a great, you know, a great writer gives people a good story that takes them out of life, you know? Um, But then there's this other thing that the really great work does, which is just teach people a, a whole different kind of way of operating, you know, it kind mm-hmm. of awakens them. And, and I think that, you know, really, really great creative work is done by people who have paid deep attention to the world and to their lives, mm-hmm. uh, both outer and inner. And I think really great work sort of awakens you to your world and it makes you pay better attention. And so I think for me personally, that's like what really great art does. It sort of affirms our connection with life and it, and it awakens us to the kind of, you know, magic that can be found in the mundane, the, Mm -hmm. the, the extraordinary that can be found in the ordinary and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think really what the best art does is it just makes people's lives better. It just helps them live, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as far as like how it contributes, I just think it does that, it in ways that in a lot of different ways but i think fundamentally like great art kind of puts us in touch with with our you know our humanness and our kind of connection to the world well austin i really appreciate the work that you're doing and i resonate with all the books that you've written and i appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on makers and mystics it was my pleasure thanks for having me 
And as always, thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to find us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics or visit our website at makersandmystics.com. You can leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think of the podcast. We'll be back again next week with another Artist Profile episode. Thanks so much for listening.